every day brings us closer. Closer to the moment when the next generation of NFL stars learn their destiny. And franchises try to lay the foundation for the next dynasty. With the first pick. This is First Draft. Now alongside NFL Draft Insiders Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, here's Chris Brown. Well, it's the first first draft after the first of the year. Happy New Year to Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay who are here. This is really it. This is the time of year. There's only one college football game left to be played. And it's officially the time of year where Todd focuses on his number one priority, the 2017 NFL Draft, and Mel focuses on his number one priority, The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. Mel, you, you're 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 off and running on uh, the Bachelor Big Board. Exciting year! I don't, don't want to steal too much from the uh, Dari and Mel hour no. you spend on it. No, no we cow. won't steal. You won't steal anything because all I will say is we have an all-time favorite in this year's group. Huh. So 22 left. There's an all-time favorite in those 22. So, like, for Todd, that's like a Matt Ryan, an Andrew Luck, an all-time. For me, it would be John Elway. Okay. All right. Well, I I, I just heard a rating spike for Saturday. Mike Golden Jr. will be filling in for Dari, by the way. Dari will be busy getting ready for the national championship game, which involves an SEC team, Alabama, obviously. So, Dari is preoccupied and will not be part of the show on Saturday. Mike Golick Jr. will be filling in. You'll have to deal with me, Todd, and all my Bachelor talk. Todd, I'm sure that Dari didn't just realize it was the first show after the Bachelor premiere and just made up an excuse. (laughs) Great timing, right? Not to spend four hours with Mel. (laughs) I mean... I, I listened the other day driving up to, to the office to do some work, and I was just like, what is, what's happened to my man? Like, my guy is so far off the reservation right now. I feel like I'm a part of it because that, that the big started this stuff. Yeah. The scary part is I actually hear more excitement in his voice yeah. talking about the Bachelor girls than I hear talking about Joey Bosa last year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Bosa, Bosa's a Bosa's a player. JoJo's a prospect. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, amazing. Boy. Oh. Speaking of Bosa, I just really quickly because we have we've played sixteen games, and uh, you know these guys they, they didn't do too bad. Todd's number one player at uh, in the draft last year was Joey Bosa. Was that where you ended up, Mel? Too your number one player on your board. Bosa was right there. I mean, we had them all year. I mean, all the yeah. guys, Todd, I went through and I looked at the um, the top big boards, and I went through and looked at the all-rookie team that I think we would all not, pretty much agree on. Not do too bad. And it's not really. I mean, if you look at it and you go through the guys, in the, in the first round turned out to be, I think, without really, you look at bust, not many. I think most teams got really good return on their investment, and it goes really deep into undrafted free agents this year, the depth of this draft. We have a couple undrafted free agents on the all-rookie team. One, a kicker, Will Lutz, who actually beat out a second-round pick, Roberto Aguayo, who Tampa yeah. Bay traded up for, and then Brian Poole out of Florida. One of many Florida Gators, and of course a great group of Florida Gator defenders coming into this draft, but Brian Poole made it as an undrafted free agent. So uh, you had a, a draft that took you through every round, basically, with guys that were in the mix for the all-rookie team. It was amazing. I just look at this. If you look at the top of the 2016 draft board, obviously – the Jared Goff question marks are still out there, but there's no way in anybody who takes that job, nobody, anybody is going to say, uh, you know, we don't know what's going on because Todd Gurley couldn't run there. You know, they didn't have receivers. We don't know what's going on with Goff. But after that, Wentz started and played as well as you could ask for a rookie. Joey Bosa wasn't just one of the best pass rushers among rookies. Was by the end of the year, one of the probably the top five pass rushers in the NFL. Stats, tape, whatever you want to do. Zeke Elliott, yeah, I think we know the story. Jalen Ramsey, starter, played well down the stretch. Ronnie Stanley, starter. DeForest Buckner would literally play like 98% of snaps. Conklin, really good. Leonard Floyd came on. Eli Apple, Vernon Hargers. These guys were all playing. I mean, they played a ton of football. You finally get to Sheldon Rankins there at 12, and that was an injury. who wasn't playing a lot of football, but... Mel, you're right. This first round, 
it looks really good right now. First round looks really good, and the second round looks really good. Uh, I mean, you had some defensive players uh, like Emmanuel Ogba come on, uh, Chris Jones, Noah mm-hmm. Spence, uh, Ashawn Robinson, Jaron Reed, Deion Jones, Sua Cravens, all Deshaun Davis, Von Bell, James Bradbury. I didn't even mention offensive players like Hunter Henry uh, and Sterling Shepard and Derek Henry and Michael Thomas, one of the yeah. many Buckeyes, Tyler Boyd, Cody Whitehair. I mean, the third round, fourth round, fifth round, Jordan Howard, Tyreek Hill, Jatavis Brown, sixth round with Andy Janovich, Drew Kayser, Jarrell Adams, Anthony Brown, Cody Kaur. Uh, seventh round, got a couple guys, an undrafted. I counted right now, Todd, I got like 11 undrafted free agents that had an impact with their respective teams. Yeah, it's been, it's been good to see. I mean, these last two years, the draft classes, the last two years, the early production that we've seen is, um, I don't want to say surprising, but it's it, it's positive. It's you look across the league, and you know you're excited to see guys that you you spent all that time evaluating and thought that they had a chance to, to contribute long term and hopefully a little bit early. And and um and it's been good to see. I was talking to Scott Pioli the other day uh, at the Peach Bowl. He was there, obviously in in that building, the Georgia Dome, and he saying how excited they are about their young team. And you know, last year the struggles they had, but now they have seven he I think he said seven six or seven guys on the defense that are first or second year uh, players that are starters. And he said, you know, how about we, we get Keanu O'Neill, we spend the first round pick and he's been awesome. Our best you know, he leads the team in tackles, I think he said, and, and maybe our best defensive player this year. Um, and then Poole starting next to him at, safe, at the other safety spot. And like you mentioned, he's, uh, he's, he wasn't even a drafted guy, undrafted free agent. So to, to get that kind of production, uh, when you're in that, in that role in the, in the head of the personnel department, uh, you know, you just you get really excited about what you're able to do and finding the right players. But it, it, it's been good to see Jerry Goff is going to be interesting to track moving forward. Dak Prescott, we, you know, he fell to where we all kind of thought he would fall in the draft, and he fell into a perfect situation, a situation none of us would have expected. But even so, it's not. T- I don't want to take anything away from what this guy's doing. When you talk about everything, like the consistency that he's, he's had, he had one bump in the road about four or five weeks ago, and, and people were starting to wonder, oh, is this the window where we're going to see Tony Romo? And to handle the, the, the negative like he did and to bounce back the way he did, you just look at his numbers, second in total QBR in the, in the league. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. I know he's got the offensive line. I know that Ezekiel Elliott's been awesome at running back, um, leading the league in, in, in rushing over 1,500 yards, 310 carries, and also after contact, 616 yards of, of those coming, like I said, after contact. So Zeke's been great. The line's great. But at some point, you've got to give Dak Prescott credit. He's a lot better than I ever thought he would be, especially early in his career. I thought he was a guy that would be a good backup for a while, maybe have a chance to start down the road when he had time to continue to develop and work on his footwork and consistency. But he's he's completely outplayed what I thought he could do early in his career. I think it's the biggest story in the history of the draft since I've covered it, Todd. And that goes back to 1978. Really? The biggest and wow. best story I've ever seen since I've covered it. And I'm not exaggerating it. It's not just to say something just to get, you know, because it's, it's, we're talking about it today. I'm not, I haven't mentioned it anywhere else. I mentioned it to Paul Feinbaum on a Thursday about a month and a half ago. That it was the biggest story developing in the history of, of, of this thing that I've covered since 1978 called the NFL draft. Here's a late fourth round pick, Todd, that they took as a compensatory pick. They took a fourth round pick their own before they took Dak Prescott. The Kansas City Chiefs took a corner in the third round who they cut. They took three kids in the fourth round before Prescott was taken. They took a quarterback right after Prescott went by the name of Kevin Hogan. So the league didn't didn't see this coming by a mile. I remember talking to somebody in the league last year. I said, I was going to put Prescott in my top 25. They laughed at me. They, no way. You can't do that. All right, so the league didn't see it coming. Now, to speak to why he's the biggest story, he played like a veteran. What he did was lead this team to an incredible record. You mentioned Elliott. Yeah, he's Elliott's great, but so was DeMarco Murray behind this offensive line. McFadden had over 1,000 yards. They, you know, Des Bryant missed time. Jason Witten's not Jason Witten in his prime any longer. He's nearing the end of the trail, mm-hmm. okay? Yet Dak Prescott went out, and, he, and I think the biggest statement he made was when you said that bump in the road. 
You go back to that giant game in New York. The next week, playing Tampa, if he struggles there, you're going to want Romo. Is going to be screams for Romo. He played great. So he responded to that game. He didn't listen to all the chatter. And he played like a veteran from start to finish. And he was tremendous in the locker room, created no issues with the whole Romo situation. I think Dak Prescott, without first of all, if you say offensive rookie of the year, I gave it to Prescott. Just so you, I gave it to Prescott. I, I think MVP of the league should be Dak Prescott because Ooh. where would the Dallas Cowboys be right now if they didn't have if they had not drafted if they say they made the trade for Paxton Lynch, Todd, would they be where they are right now? No. All right. If they would have drafted Connor Cook, would they be where they are no. right now? All right. So no, my no, point I mean, is, if they didn't have hard, this, I mean, what about Kellen Moore? Though? It, it, Come on. Or any of Brandon Whedon or Bat Castle, any of these core without Dak Prescott, they're not even close to being where they are right now. Without Ezekiel (laughs) Elliott, they're still probably a pretty good football team. But that's my point is you take this quarterback, we all say it's a quarterback league. They had a guy that they took think about the salary cap. Think about Russell Wilson, how you save money with a third round I think that's fourth round pick. I think that's the big story, Mel, and and if you wanna you know, say it's one of the biggest stories in the history of the draft. It's an incredible draft story, and we saw it play out in Seattle when you can get a guy in the third round like they did or in the fourth round like Dak, and he's really good right away. It, it just creates a Super Bowl window. It's there. And, you know, and then you think about it that him and Zeke Elliott, you know, relatively speaking, Zeke Elliott doesn't make what he was worth if he's on the open market. I mean, they have two of the best – arguably offensive players in the league going forward and they're getting them for a combined like you know five six million a year i mean it's a remarkable thing you know mel that's your look at it todd i just want to get a quick thought from you here mel's got his by the way mel has got his all rookie team coming out tomorrow i think you had bosa as your defensive and dak as your offensive but todd is there a as you just look back at last year's draft as we kind of cap that class, is there a story that just really shocks you beyond Prescott or something you're really looking forward to? I don't know shock, is, but I'll say this. Usually defensive linemen are among the slowest positions in terms of transitioning to the league. And, and a lot of guys, so Vic Beasley's played better this year. He had really struggled as a rookie. I mean, you can go, you can create a monster list of guys who have struggled early on in their career uh, coming out as D-line, not just pass rushers, but D-tackles D as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with they're, they're so used to being dominant over offensive linemen, especially the interior guys against guards in, in college football, that when they get to the league going up against grown men, guys who are fighting, keep, you know, fighting to keep their jobs and, and have been in the league for five, seven years, just crusty old offensive linemen, usually what happens is these, the offensive linemen – wind up taking advantage of, of D-linemen that just have speed or power or, or maybe even a combination of both but haven't learned how to play the position yet and how to do all the little things. This year's group, we knew that this was a, that was the strength of the draft. We knew all along defensive line was the strength of, of the draft, but you, you just never know if it's going to translate. But Joey Bosa we talked about earlier. You start to go down the line. DeForest Buckner is, is playing really well uh, at San Francisco. Leonard Floyd is a, an edge rusher in that 3-4, uh, has, has had a lot of flashes and looks like he's, he's going to wind up being, becoming a really good player and an impact player for the Bears. Chris Jones, who I loved the ability, was concerned about the, the consistency, the work, and everything else, uh, but he's, he's playing well for the Kansas City Chiefs. Even now, like Noah Spence for the Buccaneers has done some, some positive things. So there's a long list of defensive linemen that have really been impressive in this year's class, and that's something we don't always see uh, when it comes to that position. I'll, th- I'll throw in, too, a couple others. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe. I don't, I don't know if you said him. I, I didn't think you said him. And no, I didn't. It, no, it, but he's having a nice year, too, uh, for, uh, for the Jaguars. And if it wasn't such a, a tire fire, I think we'd be talking about Emmanuel Agba played pretty well, acquitted himself pretty well, had six sacks. <laughs> against a team where a lot of people were just running out the clock for a while. And even a, even a guy like Matt Judon out of Grand Valley State. I yeah. mean, Todd's right. There's a, there's a ton of these guys. Uh, A'shaun Robinson came on late later in the season, has really helped Detroit. I mean, it, it really Nose is. Guy. It goes way down the list. And, Todd, you mentioned, but Chris Jones, who is kind of your guy, uh, he's, he's played a huge role for a competitive team. I mean, it's amazing. One last thing I wanted to mention on the 2016 class, just because, uh, you know, Todd, you saw a ton of them last year, and I, I just found it remarkable 
what is going on with what Ohio State brought in this class? I wanted to bring it up because it's starting to look like one of these all-timers. Let's just look at this list. This is just after a rookie year. Joey Bosa, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL right now. Not best rookies. Zeke Elliott led the league in rushing, and it wasn't close. Uh, Michael Thomas had a huge season in New Orleans, and then it, but then it keeps awesome. it then it keeps on going. Decker started to hold down left tackle for Detroit, something they haven't had since Lomas Brown was there. I think Eli Apple played a big role on a playoff team. Continues. Darren Lee started to click a little bit late. Adolphus Washington was playing. This is an unbelievable class. Yeah, Jalen Marshall made yeah. it as an undrafted. Jalen Marshall, uh, Von yeah, Bell exactly. played. Uh, Braxton Miller even found time uh, before he. I think he ended up hurting his shoulder. I mean, it is an unbelievable class. I wonder if it's going to go down as an all-timer. Mel, is it in the? I mean, I'm thinking back to like Miami in 2001. Yeah. Those kinds of deals. It's unbelievable. It is. Darren Lee, uh, you know, had an impact with the Jets. Joshua Perry's going to develop in San Diego. The list goes on Forgot and on, him. as you said. Uh, yeah, I think it is an all-time great, uh, you know, group coming into the NFL from one school. Alabama's going to have a heck of a group yep. coming in this year, no doubt about that. But what Ohio State did, Todd, not only, you know, being where – if you look back, it's amazing. They weren't in the Final Four, I mean, with that team. I mean, that, that team was – this is the team that beat uh, Notre Dame in a bowl game last year. It was when Jalen Smith was injured, when Taylor Decker kind of pushed him after the play was over. And he, he fell you know, awkwardly and then tore up his knee, unfortunately, became a second-round pick, not a top-five pick. So you look at that Ohio State talent, I don't know if we'll ever see the numbers that we just ran off. I don't think Alabama's going to produce the numbers this year that Ohio State did. Overall, over the next two years, they probably will after all these kids come out. But from a one-year standpoint, I don't think we've seen it before, and I don't think we'll probably ever see it again for what Ohio State uh, produced. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not – I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. They had 12 guys drafted all in the first four rounds. Um, when we look at – what I think is interesting, too, when we look at that roster, that the national championship roster, I guess, from a couple of years ago, and stack it up, the, Miami's 2001 roster set the bar, I think, of all time. Oh, yeah. They wound up having 38 players selected in the next five years, 2002 draft to 2006, and 17 of those 38 were in the first round. And and they weren't guys that went in the league and were average. I'm talking about like Andre Johnson at wide receiver, Bryant McKinney at tackle, tight end Kellen Winslow, Antrell Roll, Jonathan Vilma, Ed Reed. Um, Vernon Carey, yep, the list goes on and on. Uh, Willis McGahee, Vince Wilfork, it, it's ridiculous. So that's to me, that is the bar. That, that 2001 national championship roster for the Hurricanes. 2004 Trojans, it's pretty darn good too. Uh, you start to look at, at all the production that they had. Um, 28 players drafted in the next four years from that, that roster. Didn't have as many first-round picks, but more, um, more in the first three rounds. And, and those guys, maybe not quite as good as in terms of production in the NFL, but still really good players, you know, from uh, Mike Williams, you got Mike Patterson, Sean Cody, um, Matt Leiner was a, obviously was a bust. Reggie Bush did not play up to the level you expected. Uh, so there were some up and ups and downs with that group. And the only other one I would throw in there is a 2009 championship team for, for Alabama. They were, I mean, that group was, was really strong as well. And the FSU for the last couple of years is, would kind of be in the mix as well, you know, going back to their champion, championship a couple of years ago. But I don't know that anything, anything will ever touch Miami's 2001, but it's starting to look like Ohio State's it will be in that short list that I just mentioned. And especially now that we're starting to see even more of these underclassmen coming out this year. I mean, they're getting gutted like LSU got gutted a few years ago, back-to-back classes with a bunch of underclassmen leaving early. Yeah, I do think we can say with an exclamation point, Todd, this one-year draft period, the 2016 NFL draft at Ohio State uh, you know, produced all these players, was, was, was never going to be touched. I don't think any group touched what they did in a one-year period in terms of not only producing the players, but seeing them, as you say, translate right away as rookies in the NFL the way they did. Has any year, has any draft class from one particular school rivaled what Ohio State did this year? I mean, Mel, I'm looking at your, you just, the top five that um, sent an email earlier. One of you guys sent an email with with your big board, I guess you do, with the rookie yeah. class, and I, I opened it up, and I'm just looking at it right now. Ezekiel Elliott, you have number two. Joey Bosa, four, and Michael Thomas. You're talking about three of the top five rookie performers 
in the league coming from one school. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I think four of the top ten with Decker, he's been there once he held down left tackle. It is amazing. Is it, ama- is it as amazing, though, as uh, this is your running back step chart? Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, Frank Gore, Najee Davenport. And your safeties no, are Ed Reed and Sean Taylor. That's pretty good. But let's take a quick break, and then we will jump into the 2017 NFL Draft and some big early entry decisions with the quarterback class and a whole bunch more. We'll take a quick look at that uh, when we come back. But first, a word from Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. I got signed up for Blue Apron a few weeks ago, and the experience has been great. The meals are delicious, and it's been surprisingly fun to make. We make the food with the whole family. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients. You make delicious home-cooked meals. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. You can prepare these in about 40 minutes or less. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping. We love free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash first draft. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash first draft. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Welcome back to First Draft. We did a review on the 2016 NFL Draft, which may someday be called the Buckeye Draft. Just an unbelievable haul there. But it's 2017 draft. We gotta get we gotta get going on that. We gotta get Mel focused, get his eyes away from Monday nights, Bachelor. And there's some some big QB decisions, guys. You both of you have been out there saying, "Man, I hope these kids stay." And uh, then, not they, listening. then they start to look around, Todd, though. I mean, really, they start to look around and they say, well, if everybody stays, maybe I should go. And because maybe I'm going to be that guy. So Deshaun Kaiser out of Notre Dame comes out. Brad Kaya, another guy we know could use some more work, but he's played 38 football games at Miami. He says, you know what? I'm ready to get paid for this. And now Mitch Trubisky's coming. We don't know the situation there, but. Suddenly you start to think, well, I, don't, I really don't like this quarterback class all that much. You both said it all the way back to September, and yet here we are. Are we talking about two, three, four of these guys drafted in the first round because, hey, they're quarterbacks? I mean, what do you think, Todd? Uh, you know, it's hard because the, the grade's not there. And I, I still have more work to do, but I feel like I've done enough work on most of these guys. Uh, Kaiser, Sean Watson, Kaya to feel like they're, they belong in, the, in day two, that you're drafting them hope, with the intention that they're going to be really good backups and maybe one day develop the starters, but you don't see them as a guy that can step in and have success right away and, and become, you know, the Andrew Luck type player. I just don't see that kind of, I don't want to say value at that position because who cares about value? Can the guy play or not? And I just, I have so many questions with each one of these guys that it, I struggle, but I also am not a complete idiot. I mean, I, some people would disagree, but I realize that you have to go back to 1996. Short. <laughs> I, I threw in complete. Um, to go back to 1996 to see the last time we had a draft class where a quarterback wasn't selected in the first round. So my gut tells me you're going to wind up seeing one or two, or maybe even three of these guys go in the first round. Mitch Trubisky, to me, from what I've seen, I still have more work to do, but from what I've seen is the closest thing to a, a first-rounder. Kaiser has the physical tools. I just don't think he's there yet with processing information and uh, in, in terms of his, his consistency with accuracy. Uh, Brad Kaya, it's hard to evaluate because he was under so much pressure throughout his entire career there, uh, but he's gotten into some bad habits. When he's, when he's on, he's great. But he's he goes through way too many funks and, and is bothered by pressure too much. Now, the two guys that I, I really have to do a lot of work on, Patrick Mahomes from Texas Tech, who clearly has ability 
comes from a, an athletic family, uh, had put up huge numbers in that offense, but it, that system has never translated, still has never translated to this day uh, to sustain success in the NFL. And then Gerard Evans, which was one of the bigger surprises out of Virginia Tech. Yeah, I would agree. I, the Kaiser, to me, Todd, and we look back at Jake Locker, and we look back at E.J. Manuel, and we look back at Blaine Gabbard and Christian Ponder, and the list goes on and on of all these guys that were forced up and had, did not pan out. Deshaun Kaiser kind of reminds you a little of a Jake Locker. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Coming out without doing a great job at Notre Dame would bother you. Uh, you can't blame everything on a system that you don't, it's not suited for you. You can't blame it all on that. Trubisky, if you saw the game, the Sun Bowl game against Stanford, you're underwhelmed. Um, can you worry about one game? Well, if you're worried about being underwhelmed in a bowl game, you didn't like Derek Carr, and you see all that. But Derek Carr, his team was overmatched. Derek Carr wasn't overmatched. The team was overmatched by USC. North Carolina was not overmatched. They just couldn't block Solomon Thomas. Outside of that, they weren't overmatched. Some of the plays were unforced errors by Trubisky in this game. The fumble, the careless fumble. You know, the, the missing a, on a crossing route, a wide-open receiver that cost them a potential touchdown. They had to settle for a field goal. You know, with throws that were just not accurate, decisions that weren't sound. Uh, Trubisky isn't ready with 13 starts. Is he physically where you need to be? Does he make throws that are NFL throws? He say, yeah, there's an NFL throw. Yeah, so did Locker. So did all those guys, which I just mentioned. But did they need another year? Andrew Luck could have come out. He didn't. Peyton Manning could have come out. He didn't. You don't have to come out. These guys had a much higher grade. Luck and Manning and others had a much higher grade than Trubisky does, and they went back. I don't get why a player who is not even – I don't know, Todd, when you're big, but I got him at 16. Where do you have him on your top 32? Trubisky? Uh-huh. 33. 33. Okay, so even in the top 32, which is the first round. I got him at 16, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because he is talented, and I think if he goes back, he could be the number one pick overall. But, you know, why not go back? I understand you lose – everybody loses players. But and, and Evans, I understand Hodges, the tight end, and Ford, the receiver. I get that. But Evans is coming out. I, that's a, We know he's talented, but he's, that's a shocker to me. Uh, the three that shocker. did go back, the three that are going back, not everybody's coming out. Luke Fox going back to Washington State. Baker Mayfield's going back to Oklahoma. And Mason Rudolph's going back to Oklahoma State. Mahomes is interesting, Todd, because Texas Tech has never had a quarterback with his kind of physical prowess. He can sling it. He can move. Yep. You know, his father was the Major League Baseball pitcher. Good bloodlines there athletically. So I think Mahomes is unique to this system because they haven't had – I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was in this system, okay, at one point. He didn't have that kind of ability. You go through the ranks. Look at the Baylor guys. A lot of those quarterbacks, Nick Florence, that had success, didn't have this type of physical ability, which makes Mahomes – Probably a guy who is going to get a significant bump up. Uh, I've even heard people say, well, you know, you know, could he be one of the steals of this draft and go second or third round? I don't think at the end of the day, Todd, after he works out and he, you know, people look back at his talent, I don't think he drops that far. I think he could be the guy that people look at, maybe even ahead of Deshaun Kaiser. I just want to – it doesn't help his cause, the struggles that, that Goff has had transitioning. I know it's early year one. I'm by no stretch of my, you know, saying that Goff's not going to be a good player down the road. We all knew that he was going to need time. And he, to me, that I think a fresh start with a new coaching staff is probably going to be beneficial to him. But um, but seeing that, I, I think only adds concern to what what has always been concerning when you're talking about transitioning from that offensive system, which is very similar, you know, Leach in Texas. Starting at Texas Tech, Washington State, and then Cal um, with that whole, you know, Sonny Dykes and, and basically that whole tree, very similar systems. Uh, I, I just, you know, that's that's going to be a major topic of conversation when it comes to Mahomes, who, as you mentioned, clearly has the physical tools, has the right, seems like the right makeup and, and just the way he, kind of the it factor that he brings. Uh, but how willing are you to, to gamble a first-round pick on a guy that it comes from a system that has never once worked. It's going to be interesting. Well, it's a good thing Luke Falk went back then. Yeah, it's it's funny, though. You talk about Texas Tech. Those guys are all coaches now. Graham Harrell's a coach. Kingsbury's a coach. There's another one in there I'm forgetting. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely the case. Guys, I want to just run through a few names here. Just over the last couple of days, our headlines – some of the guys that have that have come out earlier is there one? There's a lot of them that you know you just expect. Uh, a few from Ohio State, Derek Barnett, um, a few guys from the Washington secondary, obviously Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, some big names. Are there any 
guys that have just jumped into the draft over the last couple of days where you've gone, oh, man, you, sh- you just shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, you mentioned Mahomes, but there's another guy, there's some guys out there like uh, T.J. Watt is a little bit of a surprise. Maybe a second rounder, but, you know, maybe it surprised you a little bit. Was there anybody last couple of days where you thought, ah, I-, I wish he'd be coming back? Aside from the quarterbacks, of course. Well, I think, Todd, just looking at the list, I mean, some of these guys, you know, you could say there's a number of them that aren't going to go in the first couple rounds that are coming yeah. out, and you say why. Conley, the corner from Ohio State, is interesting because if Lattimore comes out, he would have been the main entity. Uh, you know, and you have a lot of other corners that are going to be coming out. It's going to be a pretty deep class. We'll see how, how Conley figures in. But to go back and be the number one corner if Lattimore does leave uh, would give him that opportunity. But, hey, he's still a you know, highly rated player. I, I think if you go back, and you can't exclude the quarterbacks in this discussion, Discussion because I think the biggest shock to me of all the players was Evans coming out the quarterback from Virginia yeah. Tech. Clearly, yeah, that it just jumped off the page to me. I, I kind of did a double take when I saw Gerard Evans. You know, and, and the success that they had this year and, and kind of building that program back to where you know where it was, and and I, I just assumed that he was going to go back and and try to continue on. And yeah, like you mentioned, he, he lost his top two um, receiving targets, but. They've got ability there, and they're recruiting well. And I don't know, I, that one was really surprising to me. Um, Joe Yearby, the running back from Miami, I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's because he's, you know, he's realizing that he's the the backup and not going to get all the carries, and just instead of transferring, it's time to try to move on and see what he can do in the league. Um, Jerome Lane from Akron was, he's talented. It's Kevin Whitel, I who we work with. Um, he was out doing one of his games, I believe, during the bowl season and, and um, was really impressed with him physically. He's a linebacker, turned to uh, transition to wide receiver. Uh, but just coming out of Akron just kind of caught my eye as a guy that uh, was interesting. But for the most part, these are, I mean, these are the guys that, that you would expect. The Dalvin Cooks, the Derek Barnetts, Buda Baker, safety from Washington, Deontay Foreman. Uh, I know he, it was a tough decision for him, but I think the right decision, Leonard Fournette, um, obviously, this just a really good running back class. Throw in um, uh, McCaffrey as well, coming out of Stanford. And the one player that, to me, had the probably helped himself the most in the bowl game, and you mentioned his name earlier, Solomon Thomas from Stanford. I was wondering if he was going to come out because he's a young guy. He's got a couple years left, I think, of eligibility there. I think he's a redshirt sophomore. Third-year sophomore. But, yeah. Oh, my goodness, Mel. Is this dude talented? He was unblockable. He is long. He, yeah, and he's like the right attitude. Oh, he plays yep. hard. I mean, I, I was reluctant to put him. I didn't want David Shaw screaming at me. Nick Saban has over the years. I didn't want David Shaw screaming about a third-year sophomore. So at Sproul, right. you're kind of you know, a little conservative. You know, you put him in there, but you don't want to keep him on a big ride up as high as like 15 on the big board. Said, ah, I don't really feel right with a third-year sophomore. It may go back. Let's wait and see what he does. And he dominated the North Carolina game, the Sun Bowl. Uh, he's a incredibly talented kid. I think if now that he's coming out, Todd, I can say it. I think he's going in the top 10. Uh, I think somebody's going to take him top 10 to 15. He is so good. He's versatile. He's not just, uh, you know, uh, pigeonholed to be one guy. He can be multiple guys in the NFL who can get after the quarterback inside and outside. I, I love the kid. Uh, and I think he's going to go very, he may be a top 5, top 10 guy after all said and done, not top 10 to 15. Ricky Seals-Jones, Todd, I would have liked to have seen one dominant year where you're injury-free, you're, you're out there, you know, you know catching pass and, and being a big-time receiver, uh, you're coming out early with a lot of other receivers, Stringfellow at Ole Miss coming out, Malone at Tennessee, McKenzie, Georgia, Henderson, Louisiana Tech, a lot of underclassmen receivers coming out um, in this group. Um, the other kid, uh, you yeah, know, I look at the defensive lineman. Jones at North Carolina flashes. And Naz Jones flashes. Had him pretty high at one point. Like them, didn't know if he would come out. He's coming out. Vanderdose at UCLA coming out. Walker injured early. Mm-hmm. Shut it down at Oklahoma. Coming out. Godshaw at LSU is interesting. Taylor at Oklahoma State. Yep. Walls at Washington. So a lot of underclassmen, defensive linemen, in addition to the ones we knew were coming out, like Miles Garrett and Charles Harris at Missouri and Barnett. Uh, Solomon Thomas, though, I'll tell you what, if you're going to come out after a, a great game where you're on fire, and everything that you saw in that game said, boy, if he isn't one of the best players in this draft, I don't know who is, and I don't want to exaggerate it until we obviously go through the process a little more. Right. But I really think Solomon Thomas, come late April, Todd's going to go really high in the draft. This is a, a really talented D-line class that is just keeps getting better with all these underclassmen coming out. What, there's one other guy that, um, that I'm intrigued by, and I haven't watched tape on him, but I've, I've – 
just seen him on you know on TV and games and, and, and had him in a in a game earlier this year, but um, or last year I should say. David Joku, the tight end from Miami, from Miami, forty three catches, averaged over sixteen yards per catch, had a bunch of touch, eight touchdowns this year, and really kind of came on strong second half of the year. Had two catches for one hundred and thirty four yards against Duke. West Virginia had five catches in the bowl game. Big bowl game. He just. For him. He, yeah. Yeah, he's got 6'4", 245, continue, he'll continue to grow into his frame. He, he's an intriguing player and in what is already, a, a, I think, a really strong tight end class, especially compared to what we've seen the last few years. I mean, you're talking about uh, Jake Butt from Michigan. I don't know, he had the injury in the Orange Bowl. Hopefully he'll be, he'll be good to go and, and it won't be a massive deal moving forward. Um, we got Bucky Hodges. You got O.J. Howard, Hodges from Virginia Tech, Howard from um, from Alabama. So those three guys are, I think, in the first couple of rounds. And I'm interested as I watch tape to see if if Njoku enters the conversation as a a guy that could fit into day two of the draft. Well, we took a look at a lot of the early entrants here, but you know, as Todd mentioned or Mel mentioned, you know, at the top of the draft, some of these guys are going to be considered. Hey, for the first time since we've been doing this, we actually have a top of the draft right now set. Right now, this is it. This is done. Cleveland Browns, number one, managed to win a game and still win the number one pick. San Fran, number two. The Bears, number three. Haven't been that high in a little while in Chicago. Jags, uh, back where we typically see the Jags at number four. And then, of course, the fun one, the Tennessee Titans get to pick in the top five. Coming off a year where they went nine and seven, saw a lot of growth, but they get that pick because of the trade that brought Jared Goff to the Rams. Uh, then, of course, we have the Jets at six, the San Diego Chargers at seven, the Carolina Panthers at eight, and rounding out the top ten, the Bengals and the Bills. Mel, I'll put you on the spot right now. Draft is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Cleveland Browns number one. You're the GM. Who are you taking? I think it's got to look at Miles Garrett just because of the pass rush ability off the edge. And then that division, we talk about the quarterbacks. Flacco's a pocket guy. Roethlisberger's a big, strong pocket guy. All right, Dalton, pocket guy. I think you got to beat your division. That's what you got to do. And they got to, if they make the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, remember, they have another first round pick. Will they pick him with the second first round pick? Right around that 10th spot somewhere 12. in there, 12th. 12th. Okay? So plenty 12th, valuable yeah, pick. First yeah. and 12th. So yeah, you got, uh, you got that other pick to, to dangle out there, but uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's name comes up a lot. You had a Miles Garrett uh, to a defensive line with Emmanuel Ogba who made the all-rookie team as a mentioned guy, a worth-mentioning guy. Uh, so did uh, Carl Nassib until he got hurt, was off to a great start, then came back late in the year and played uh, pretty well. Uh, so I think that's a team with that defensive line capability. Shelton's still Danny there as Shelton well. Really coming exactly. On, yeah. So you got with those young players, and you add a guy like, uh, like Miles Garrett to the equation, that would certainly help the Cleveland Browns a lot, especially if they do make that deal for, say, Jimmy Garoppolo. Todd, is that also, though, is, is, is you play the uh, role of GM of the Browns, which is kind of a nebulous role as it stands, is that, is that also best player available right now? And I ask that because as we're talking about how great the 2016 draft was, I keep thinking it seems like more and more teams are saying, let's take the best player. Sure, sometimes they line up pretty well on need, and a lot of teams drafting high have a lot of needs, but I felt like there was a lot of teams going – BPA is the philosophy, and it's just working out. It's never a bad idea. I'm convinced of it. You study it over time, and you go back. And, and uh, So many times players who wind up being busts or, or, or can't live up to the expectations are guys that teams reached on because of a, a, a specific need and then wanted to take that player. There's a reason it's a specific need. I mean, you've got to, you're, you're hoping if you spend an early round pick on a player at a position that you need to upgrade, you're going to try to force him in there. And so maybe he's not ready, or maybe he, you know, should be in a rotation. Maybe he can't handle it. He's not mentally or physically mature enough as a rookie, but it could be a really good player if he was developed properly. So there's a lot of reasons why. And I forget who told me this, and it's the simplest saying, and it's probably why I forgot who told me it. But years ago, years and years ago, maybe seven, nine years ago, general manager once said, "The best advice I can give you is, it's never a bad idea." to take a really good football player. And, you know, it, it, to me, that's just it's so that, simple. Todd. It that was probably me. was you, Sproul. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. Um, 
it's it's so simple, but it, it also it, it's just when you sit back. Sometimes we get lost in all these other thoughts and analytics and team needs and all that. But if you're looking and say, you know what, this guy's the best football player on this draft board right now. I don't think you can go wrong because injuries happen. You can get creative on both sides of the ball and how you use a player. Just because you have a good player at that position doesn't mean it's a good idea to pass on a player if he's clearly the best player on the board. So, I don't know, it'll be interesting. I'm already, you know, it, it's January 4th, right? I think I have my date, right? So 12 more days these underclassmen have to make the decision whether to stay or go. We already, according to this list I'm looking at right now, Mel, 57 guys who are coming out. Right. You know, a couple years ago we saw that the number was down a little bit and we, it looked like maybe we were finally heading in a positive direction and then last year we were back hovering around 100. Um, you know, I'm just, it's not a good thing for the players generally. Oh, I think over 30% of the players last year who came out as underclassmen weren't even drafted. And a bunch of them, if you go back and look now, it didn't even wind up making roster spots. So um, it just it's concerning with 57 already. You know this number is going to crawl up my guess is over 80 and maybe over 90 again. And it's, it's just not the direction. It's not good for college football. And most importantly, most importantly, for a lot of these guys that didn't get first or second round grades from the, the, advi- the NFL advisory committee where you put in your paperwork, I just, it's not good for those young men because the chances of them succeeding are so low um, compared to just coming back to school for one more year and developing your game, becoming more mature, and, uh, and, and entering the, the following year's draft, in this case, 2018. Yeah. Well, you heard the sound. That means we are going to jump to the mailbag. The Twitter masses have spoken with question marks. And we have a stack here already. Uh, Mel, you can get this started here. Andrew Kerrigan at Andy Kerrigan 13 asks, we know the running back class ought to be good. How about the wide receiver class? Is it is it stacking up to be a good class? He mentions Williams, John Ross, Juju Smith. How deep is it? It's okay. I don't think it's great. I think Mike Williams and John Ross, Corey Davis at Western Michigan, Juju Smith-Schuster at USC, the versatile Curtis Samuel at Ohio State, Isaiah Ford is a kid I like uh, just because, I mean, nobody works harder. And I think when you have that work ethic and you don't want to be that so-called diva receiver uh, and you do uh, you know, have that focus, like Isaiah Ford's going to be very interesting uh, to see what he can do. James Washington, by the way, going back to Oklahoma State. A kid that I do like a lot is Cooper Cup at Eastern Washington as the third-round pick uh, who I think can be one of those guys that comes into the league right away because he went back for another year. He could have come out last yeah. year and been a third or fourth round pick. You watch a lot of him, uh, Chris Sproul. Todd, you have Cooper <laughs> Cup uh, has an awful lot of ability to, in this league, catch a lot of balls. Yeah, I, I don't think the top of the class is as good as, as what we've seen in recent years. But I think, I think when you get in the third, fourth, fifth round, there's going to be some good values. Uh, you know, Taewon Taylor from Western Kentucky, I think, is a little underrated. You mentioned Cup. Um, Mac Hollins from North North Carolina's got a few guys. Mac Hollins, Ryan Switzer, um, Bug Howard. But, but going back valued, I, I think Amara Darbo is a player who really came on for Michigan this past year. Traven Durrell for LSU, uh, Stacy Coley from Miami. So there, I'm interested with this like day three range of the of wide receivers. I think there's going to be some some players that have a chance to come in and, and surprise compared to where they were selected. Yeah, you get the sense that this isn't a class where you're sitting there at the top debating, do I take Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, you know, but you definitely are thinking, I mean, and maybe it's just the way college football is. You have tons of teams throwing it 45, 50 times a game where there's just so many guys that can catch passes, and you, you get you get down into the third, fourth round, you don't know which one of them might just kind of a, quietly become a star. It's amazing. Uh, I'm interested to watch more tape, too. There's some these underclassmen, Josh Malone from Tennessee, Isaiah McKenzie, Georgia Mel, you mentioned both those guys, a, a string fellow from, from uh, Ole Miss who is a transfer from UW. Just I'm interested now, to, now that we know they're coming out and having not spent a lot of time on them. I have no idea. I mean, I've seen them watching some games on TV. I have no idea if we're talking about first day, second day, third day, guys, with, when it comes to some of those underclassmen. But I I'm I'm interested to get going on some of these receivers that I, I really didn't think were going to wind up coming out early. 
And one little note just to put the uh, you know, period at the end of this sentence, Todd, on underclass. And you don't know how tall they are, what they weigh, how fast they are, yeah, right. how they are athletically until the combine. We know for the seniors how they are. We don't know for the underclassmen. That's why I always tell these guys, and you talk to different people that are advising them, make sure they know, not the fantasy league numbers, but the reality numbers uh, as to what they're going to run, because that's important for these underclassmen. You know the seniors already. You don't know what these kids can do physically and athletically. Let's just jump into a few of these, some some specific names and not entire groupings uh, that you guys have seen. Ron at Funkler Rob asks, I'll let McShay take this one. Did Taco Charlton solidify himself as a first-round pick after a really good Orange Bowl performance? I asked you, Todd. You saw it up close. Yeah, I've seen him five times live this year. That's and it. he kept getting better every single time. And he was the best pass rusher on the team at the end of last year. He got dinged early in the season. I think he missed one game. Kind of in the first few games, very, played very little. But in the final 10 regular season games, he had nine sacks. And he, he was all over the field um, in the, the bowl game against Florida State. He got nicked up and then came back in the game, showed the toughness you're looking for. I just think the, the arrow's pointing up when it comes to this guy. And I, really, I, I think he's got a chance to be a top 20 pick. And more importantly, I think he's got a chance to be a really good pass rusher and, and eventually an every-down player in the NFL. He's 23 on my board right now. Where is he on yours, Todd? He is right now number 13 overall. Wow. Wow. Okay. It's amazing, Todd. I mean, you saw Michigan a lot. This is a little bit of a, a tangent, but you guys see it because we talk about it with Ohio State last year. You talk about it with Bama. I think of a case like uh, USC in 2008. You had a linebacking core with Brian Cushing, Michael Morgan, uh, Chris Gallipo, Ray Maluga, a bunch of guys that, that played in the NFL or got a cup of coffee. And then there was this kid, Clay Matthews. And it's amazing how when you have these defenses or even an offensive line or just a, a skill position group that's just stacked like Michigan's defense this year where you're talking about seven, eight, nine NFL-type players, how great players occasionally can kind of get lost. Maybe it's scheme um, because they had them lined up in different places. But does that happen, Mel? You can have that happen, and it's going to be interesting with the pass rushers because some of these kids won't test quite as well as some of the others, but they had tremendous Todd production. Demarcus Walker, you can kick him inside. Now, I thought he was offside twice in that game, Todd. I don't know. You were. I, mm-hmm. I thought there were he two definitely, He definitely was, he was the, the last time. He was a yard and a half offsides. I, I, they moved the ball. Yeah. Away off him. But, hey, there was no ball. He was a yard and a half offsides. Hey, give him credit. He anticipated the snap. Did a great job. Demarcus Walker, highly productive, versatile, all-out, high motor. Carl Lawson, when he's been healthy, has been a really good player at Auburn. Jordan Willis, Kansas State, uh, another kid. Tack McKinley, we've talked about at UCLA. Uh, there's a lot of those guys. We talked about Matt Judon, who in Baltimore had a real good year out of a smaller school. There's going to be some of those as well. So I think when you look at, at the, you know, guys getting lost in the shuffle last year, you know, certainly Matt Judon did a little bit, but hey, fifth round's not bad. Will there be a guy like that this year? The Hendrickson kid at Florida Atlantic, Davis at UT Chattanooga, Basham at Ohio. Uh, there's some guys that can get after the quarterback. How do you pronounce the kid from Villanova? Tano. Oh, yeah. Pasignan? He's like, he's this year's Odigizua. Yeah. I'm yeah, just going to call is silent, Todd. Yeah. yeah, I've got a lot of work to do on that name. Guys, a couple more here. Todd, you were there, um, and we don't know the exact prognosis yet. At least I don't. Jimmy Harris asks, at JamH1581, how far do you see Jake Butt falling? Say this is a significant injury. I mean, how would you evaluate this player? You know he's a, he's a first-round type, maybe the best tight end in the class if there is a knee. You know, where does that put him? I think, I mean, to me, he's a, he's a top 50 prospect. He probably was going to be a late first, early second. Um, I think he's one of the best pass-catching tight ends in, in the country. I think that he, you know, some people are, are dinging him for, for the blocking, but he's improved. Some people are dinging him because it doesn't create after the catch. I've, I've seen different. I mean, I've seen him create. He did against Florida State. Um, and I've seen him do it throughout his career at times. So, um It'll be interesting to see. He, all I know to this point is he, he needs surgery, and it's a torn ACL. But so it's unlikely he's going to take you know take part in the whole process. But the medical checks will be important when we get closer. Make sure there's nothing in there that is concerning in terms of degenerative or long term. But with knee injuries these days, they're just not that huge of a deal. So I, my guess is at worst he drops around. 
but I think it, to me, it probably will, could be a tiebreaker between he and one of the other tight ends, and maybe he drops another 10, 12 spots to a team that is looking, you know, for a tight end, a pass catcher. But I don't, I really don't think it's going to be a devastating blow to him when it's all said and done. Let's see if we got one more great question here. Uh, I don't know. I think we'll just cap it the way we should, which is, Mel, what is your prediction for the upcoming Bachelor? Well, I'll just give you a little preview. I think coming up for the Bachelor Big Board on Saturday, I will have an all-time great I will reveal. Nobody wow. on this show can guess it. They should make they should it. make Dari and Mel pay per view or pay per listen. I guess yeah, uh, because this is going to be a you know this is going to be this isn't a stunt. Todd always says I come up with these stunts every night. I got a few for you this year, Todd. I always have a few stunts every night, once in a while. This isn't a stunt. I mean, this whole, get, let's face the whole the whole bachelor thing is a stunt in general. No, no, the whole bachelor thing. Hey, is this stunt. marriages came out of these. They're not stunts, Todd. Okay, no, a lot of nasty. marriages yeah. you know came out of these. And, these, and, uh, then, and then mostly divorces <laughs> after. That is not true. That is not true. No breakups prior to engagement breakups aren't divorce. We haven't had any of those, Todd. Okay, so I don't, don't, don't come on. See, he's pulling the stunt now. Okay, he's pulling the stunt now. Todd, Derogatory comments about the Bachelor, Todd. I don't, I don't take too kindly to. Todd, that's like committing to the draft and then returning to school before the middle of January. It's all, all good. Right. All right, yeah, it's all good. We all marriages come out of this, but I think uh, there is an all-time great in this group of twenty. Is it Whitney, Mel? No, it is not Whitney. Well, I like Whitney. Whitney's one of my top five, but I, I not, a, not the all-time great. I had a guess. I'm just looking at pictures online. Todd <laughs> took nine guesses all right. So I want our listeners to understand Todd's on his 10th guess coming up. Wow. Eighth. I think we can – well, <laughs> the good thing is is when we convene again in two weeks uh, – I'll we'll reveal we'll, that. next. Uh, the next podcast I will reveal – Unless you want to listen to Dari and Mel with Mike Golick Jr. this Saturday. Dari's busy with the SEC championship game. Mike Golick from 8 to 12, 8 to noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. I will reveal it this Saturday. If you miss it, I'll reveal it again when we reconvene with the podcast in a couple weeks. Yeah, or unless you America's want to listen to unless you want to draft. listen to a podcast that talks about the draft and not The Bachelor, at uh, which point we're more about half and half here. Guys, thanks so much. Um, We'll be back in two weeks with more stunts from Mel and uh, more insight from Todd, who will be all caught up on all these guys by then. He's hell no. And then, and then it'll be weekly. We'll, Todd will get to experience this once a week. That is really exciting to think about. But I guess it's better than like you know trips to frozen Laramie. So you know, yeah, with the cold or with the cold. Yeah, every other week during the season, which yeah. I got that was a stunt. You want to talk about a stunt? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. At that point, I believe everybody will be in or out, married to the draft or not. And uh, at that point, Mel will be cooking up a first mock draft. Todd has has already done uh, some hard labor on that front, but it'll be Mel's turn. And we'll have a lot more to talk about, a lot more more to criticize, I'm sure. But again, for Mel, Todd, I'm Chris. This is First Draft. Thanks for listening to First Draft. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash PodCenter.